Hello and welcome to the podcast of Britain Christian Church. We exist to be a lighthouse of hope to our community in OKC. Now, here's Pastor Mike. This past Friday night, we had a, a Christmas party for our new friends from Afghanistan and Iran. There was a new man there from Somalia that just moved into the apartments down the street. And during our get-together with all of these people, we shared with them that there are really two very different Christmas celebrations that take place in the United States. One is the celebration of Santa Claus and giving gifts and trees and houses covered with lights. The other Christmas, the one that we followers of Jesus celebrate, is the celebration of the greatest gift that has ever been given, the gift of God's Son for the forgiveness of our sins. He's brought us forgiveness of our sins, and he's brought us the hope of eternal life, which is found in a relationship with him. Well, long before Jesus was ever born, the prophets looked forward to the day of his coming. The prophet Isaiah lived 700 years before Jesus was born. And yet, Isaiah called this coming one, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. Isaiah delivered the promise of the coming one to those who were distressed, who were suffering anxiety about their enemies, who were plotting their demise, and those that would face even more difficult days in the future. The atmosphere was thick with tension and fear, and yet the prophet of God stood up and said, listen to what the Lord says. In the midst of your horrible circumstance and situation, listen to to what the Lord says. Well, let's listen once again to his comforting words of reassurance that God has not, nor will he ever abandon his people. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 9, beginning in verse 1, Nevertheless, <clears throat> there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I want us to focus our time together this morning on one of those names given to Jesus by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah describes the promised Messiah, the coming Messiah in his day, as the Prince of Peace. And then he elaborates upon his description by saying that the government, the authority of the government will be upon his shoulders and there will be no end to the peace that he will bring. 
When the Messiah initiates his perfect peace, it will not be like the quiet in the eye of the hurricane for the calamities of humanity, nor will it be like a lull in the storm of world strife. It will be a perfect peace that will know no end. There seems to be a persistent yearning within the human heart, as Ryan said during communion this morning, this yearning for peace. And yet, peace seems so elusive. We have peace conferences to try and teach us how to establish peace. There are meditation gardens around town to try and quiet our restless souls. There's visualized world peace bumper stickers and peace demonstrations that are full of angry protesters like we see on the news. Yet with all of our desire to experience peace in our hearts, in our homes, in our society and in this world, it seems like conflict and chaos and carnage are far, far more prevalent. Many believed that things were looking up at the beginning of the 20th century. The brightest and the best felt like we were headed into a new age of enlightenment. They believed that with the modern day advances, we would be led to the utopia that we all long for in life. As the beginning of the century unfolded, new advances were made in science and technology and in education. And midway through the century in 1945, the United Nations came into existence. But the truth of the matter is we haven't witnessed too much united among those nations. There were big hopes, lot, lots of optimism at the beginning of the century. But by the end of the 20th century, many were saying that it was the bloodiest century in the history of the world. I don't know how they arrived at their conclusion, but I do know that in the 20th century, we had two world wars. We had Hitler's Holocaust. We had Joseph Stalin's annihilation of well over 20 million of his own people. Another 40 to 70 million who were killed under Chairman Mao in China. And these atrocities don't include the loss of human life in Eastern Europe, Cambodia, Korea, Vietnam, Rwanda, and the Middle East. And the current wars that are happening in Ukraine and the Gaza Strip, they shouldn't give us much confidence that peace is just around the bend. When we turn our attention to the search for peace a little bit closer to home, we really don't find the possibility for an advancement of peace any more promising. There's wars, rival gangs warring in our neighborhood. There's animosity, outburst of anger, and tension between husbands and wives, parents and children, co-workers and classmates. There are gunmen who shoot folks in schools and universities, malls and even parades. The list goes on and on. I think it would be best to conclude that if peace is dependent on us, then any hope of experiencing a lasting peace is out of the question. Maybe that's why Paul qualified his statement in Romans 12, 18. Let me read it to you. Paul said, If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible. Is it possible to experience peace? If so, then what do we need to do in order to experience that peace? Those are great questions, and I'm going to spend the rest of our time this morning 
<coughs> searching God's word for answers to the questions. First of all, we need to define the word peace. If your definition of peace is the absence of all conflict, well, then I hate to break the news to you, but you're just out of luck. And if your definition of peace is skipping through open fields full of daisies, hand in hand with the one you love, then I can tell you, you've been watching too many Hallmark movies. I've told you what peace is not, but we're trying to find out what peace means, right? Well, when Jesus is called the Prince of Peace in Isaiah 9, Isaiah used one of the most well-known Hebrew words. You and I don't live in Israel, and I bet you're not Jewish, but I'm sure you've heard the word shalom. Shalom. It means completeness, soundness, secure, peace, safety, welfare. The word's found 236 times in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. And 175 of those times, it's translated as peace in the English Bible. Let me show you just a few of the ways that the word shalom is used in the Old Testament. <clears throat> in Job chapter 5, in verse 24, we find Job's friend Eliphaz the Temanite using the word shalom. When he's trying to counsel Job about all of the problems that Job is experiencing in life. Eliphaz said, you will know that your tent is secure. You will take stock of your property and find nothing missing. Well, the word isn't translated shalom, but I bet you recognized it, didn't you? It's the word secure in this verse. The book of Esther is one of the most beautiful stories in all of the Bible. And if you've ever read the book, then you know that Esther had an older cousin named Mordecai who took her in and raised her as his very own. Esther didn't have a mom or a dad. And he brought her in and raised her like she was his, her own, his own daughter. Esther was beautiful. She was chosen to be a part of the king's harem. And yet, for her people, for the Jewish people, things were in the balance. There was someone that was plotting their demise. And Mordecai continued to keep an eye on her even after she moved into the king's palace. In Esther 2.11, we read about Mordecai keeping an eye on Esther. Read along with me and spot where you can, see if you can spot where the Hebrew word shalom is found. This one's tough. Every day he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was. And what was happening to her. Did you find it? It's pretty tough. Mordecai checked on Esther to see how she was doing. He was checking on her welfare, her well-being. He was checking on her shalom. The last instance I want to show you is found in Isaiah 26 verse 3. This is the one verse that I've shared with you where the Hebrew word shalom is actually translated peace. You will keep in perfect what? Him whose mind is steadfast, is stayed on you. That's what that word for steadfast means. To fix your mind on him instead of your circumstance or situation. Because he trusts in you. Now, do you have a better idea of how to define peace? I hope so. It's being secure. It's being well. It's being complete. It is experiencing peace 
rather than the turmoil and the strife and anxiety that's taking place all around us, all around us. Isaiah's declaration is that one day in the future, the promised prince of peace, he will usher in an age of unending peace, of perfect peace, of undisturbed peace for all of his people. Man, what a glorious day that will be. Well, this morning, I want us to focus on the question, can we experience peace in this life? Now that we have peace defined, can you and I, can we experience peace in this life? Is it possible to experience peace even in the midst of all of the turmoil and trouble that we go through in life? And the answer is, you bet we can. And listen, my answer is not the result of listening to some Tony Robbins hype motivational video or reading the latest hit off of Oprah's book club about how to obtain peace. But it's simply by taking Jesus at his word, in his word. Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. It's easy to conclude from Jesus' statement that the peace that he gives, it is not the peace that the world is offering for you and me. It's something totally different. And yet we can experience what Jesus has to offer if we will simply receive our peace that he gives to us and live in that peace by being steadfast and focusing on him. What do we need to do to experience the peace that Jesus is talking about? Well, the peace that Jesus offers us is rooted in obedience, in hearing and then living out God's word every day of our lives. Let me show you what I'm talking about. In Isaiah 48, in Isaiah 48, verses 17 and 18, God spoke to his people, and this is what he said. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God, who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Did you hear that? God says he teaches us What's true for Israel, if you were a follower of Jesus this morning, this is also true for you and me. <clears throat> he teaches us what is best for us. He directs us in the way that we should go. That's a fact. That statement is a truth from God. You see, in Israel's day, the problem was not with God. The problem was with the people. If you go on and read verse 18, you'll see that God says, if only you had paid attention to my commands. If only they had paid attention to God's teaching. If only they had paid attention to his leading. Then the results would have been far different than what they had been experiencing. Instead of strife and turmoil and anxiety and fear and despair and rebellion and defeat, they would have experienced his peace. Now listen, let me clarify something. God doesn't say he would keep their enemies at bay. He said he would be their peace. He doesn't say that he would keep turmoil out of their community. He says he would be their peace. 
You and I live in a broken world. There's no way to escape all this brokenness unless we find our peace in Him. Rather than following God's counsel, rather than heeding His word and doing what He says, we take matters into our own hands. We work for peace. We strive for peace. We will try anything that somebody suggests may give us peace. But let me tell you, if we do not listen to what God says and put into practice what he tells us to put into practice, then we will continue to experience chaos and drama and turmoil, a lack of peace. On the other hand, if we will cherish God's word and follow his lead, then we will know peace, his peace, a peace that's found in relationship with him regardless of the circumstance going on around us. Psalm 119, verse 65 says this. Great peace. Matter of fact, read this with me. And read it really loud so they can hear us out there. You ready? Here we go. Great peace have they who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. Whoa, time out. Nothing? Do you know what I'm going through in life right now? Does nothing really mean nothing? He promises. If you love God's law, if you love his teaching, then he promises that we will have great peace. Nothing will be able to cause us to stumble. I wonder if nothing really means nothing. I wonder if God means that financial hardships will not trip us up. I wonder if God means that even the death of a loved one, the closest one to us, will not crumble us. I wonder if God means that the threat of a terrorist attack won't paralyze us. I wonder if God means, I was thinking this past week about our friends that have just arrived. I wonder if God even means that if you are plucked from your country of origin and placed in a neighborhood where you don't understand the language, you know nothing about the customs, the goings on around you, does that still apply? That even that won't cause us to stumble? I wonder if God means that a rebellious child, a wayward husband or wife, an absentee parent won't be able to destroy us. I wonder if God means that health issues, dire health issues, where the doctor says there's nothing else that can be done, if that won't trip us up. I wonder. There's an assumption here that I don't want to assume that you were aware of. You would assume that if somebody loved God's law, if somebody loved God's teaching, then they would have a right relationship with God. I mean, it's kind of logical, right? We would assume that, but I want to make it clear that a right relationship with God precedes a love for his teaching. I mean, listen to this. We can love God's teaching when we are in a pinch and not be in a right relationship with God. We can love God's teaching and look for God to bail us out of a jam and not be in a right relationship with God. And I know this from experience. Growing up, I was not a Christian. And if there was a test in school, I was a believer. God, if you'll help me on this test. You see, I was in a pinch. I needed help. 
There were other times and other circumstances in my life growing up where I was in a jam and I automatically became St. Michael. God, if you'll just do this for me. But that's not really loving God's teaching. That's rubbing a divine rabbit's foot is all that is. A right relationship precedes a long-lasting, moment-by-moment love of God's teaching. Not when I'm in a jam, I love his teaching as much as when I'm in a pinch. You understand what I mean? To be in a right relationship with God means that we have been justified by God by confessing our sin (coughs) and our need for Jesus. In the Bible, righteousness means right relationship. In Isaiah 32, 17, we read, The fruit of righteousness will be what? The fruit of a right relationship with God will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. When we take a look at an orchard, we can easily determine that the fruit of an apple tree is what? Apples. And the fruit of a pear tree is pears. Now you're catching on. And Isaiah says that the fruit of righteousness or right relationship is peace. His peace. The effect of righteousness or a right relationship with God is confidence. Confidence in Him. What a powerful statement that is for you and me. Scripture's clear that you and I do not have the ability in and of ourselves to establish and maintain peace. I mean, folks, Paul, I've already shared with you, Paul said, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. There are some people you and I cannot live at peace with. But that shouldn't be my fault. It should be Because they desire not to be at peace with me. Not because I don't desire to be at peace with them. And if I'm at peace with him, I can be at peace with them on my standpoint. Does that make sense? This morning when we remember the birth of the Prince of Peace, we are a world in conflict and strife. But even more than this, we are people plagued by conflict and strife. Our time is no different than the days in which Isaiah 9 was written. Our world is no different than the world in which Jesus was born. The world will never experience peace until the hearts of the people of the world turn to the Prince of Peace. And this, my friend, is impossible without uh, that Prince of Peace reigning and ruling in our hearts. Not just in what we believe up here, but in what we walk out in everyday life. You may not agree with me. You may be convinced that if we were just to put our mind to it, then we could come up with a personal peace plan that would lead to a world of peace. Well, Scripture teaches that if we neglect the call of God, the invitation of God to walk with Him in obedience, then we are destined to never know His peace. In Isaiah 59, we read, Their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are evil thoughts. Ruin and destruction mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their paths. They have turned them into crooked roads. No one who walks in them will know peace. 
So justice is far from us, and righteousness does not reach us. We look for light, but all is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. Why? Because we're looking in the wrong place. We're looking for humanity to create this. Something that only God can provide for you and me. By the time the New Testament came into being, the status of human hearts had not changed one shred. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church in Rome. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. How can we draw up a plan for peace when we don't have any ideas how to let go of our bags of strife and division and contention and move into the land of peace and serenity? Our plans for personal peace apart from Christ, they have as much of a chance of success as the peace plan between the Israelis and the Palestinians. People have been hoping and praying for years and years and hundreds and thousands of years. And it just hasn't happened. And neither will it for us. When we come up with our best man-made plan. During Jesus' ministry, he told his disciples that he was going to leave them his peace. Jesus acknowledged they would have trouble in this world. But in the midst of the troubles of life, they could know his peace. Listen to John 16.33. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. I want you to read that with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Repeat, in me you may have peace. One more time. In me you may have peace. You're not going to find it anywhere else. Oh, if we could just have kids, my life would be so full. Yes, it would. <laughs> but not of what you think it would be full of. Oh, if I could just get married, then my life would be full. Yes, it will. But not what you think it will be full of. Oh, if I could just get that job... Oh, if I could just move into that neighborhood. Oh, if I could just climb the ladder of success into that tax bracket. You, you, understand? you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Then I would be whole. Then I would be secure. Then I would know peace. And then you get that thing that you're longing for. And you get happy for a little while. But that's not his peace. To know his peace in the midst of never getting what you want. To know his peace and even when it seems like the seams of your world are unraveling around you. That is peace. 
to know his peace. Remember, Jesus said that the peace of God is available in him. You and I must abide in him if we're going to know the perfect peace of God in troubling times. I know the trials that many of you have experienced during the past year. I have friends that have gotten a divorce this past year and it has just broken their hearts. I know others that have faced hard financial situations this past year. It's crushed them in more ways than one. I have friends that have lost a child. I have friends that have lost a a husband, a wife, a mother, a father, and they're wondering if life is even worth living. I know people that have had their secret sin drug out into the open and they have never been more embarrassed and humiliated in their life. Each of these situations have kept them up at night. They've stolen their appetite and left them wondering if there was any hope of a brighter day ahead. Well, I want to speak for God this morning. And I want to let you know that the days of darkness... His light can break through that darkness. I didn't say he would lead you out of that trouble. I said his light will break through the darkness. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when the king said, we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. If you don't do what I tell you to do, if you don't renounce your faith, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. Do you remember their response? Oh, king, Our God can save us. But even if he does not, we're not going to bow. That's his peace. My God can deliver me out of this situation. But even if he does not, I am not moving. I'm going to rest in his peace. How about you? Do you know his peace in the midst of your storm? If not, I want to invite you this morning. If you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, I want to invite you this morning to step out of the seat where you're at and to come and receive the Prince of Peace into your heart so that he will lead you and guide you. throughout the world. Thanks for listening today. You can watch past sermons on our YouTube channel at Britain Church. We would love to see you on Sunday morning for one of our services at 8.30 or 10.40. Have a great week.